In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an site. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Good morning and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Brad Perlin, your host at WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. A beautiful weekend. Uh, I did my monthly hike up Elmore Mountain uh, Saturday night. It was a mere 11 degrees, a tad chilly, but I dressed uh, properly and uh, didn't have any company except my dog. We were we had the mountain to ourselves. Got to the top and uh, the the moon was just beautiful coming over Elmore, uh, clear as can be. Uh, Orion uh, off to the uh, my side and and uh, uh, Jupiter up above the uh, fire tower. It was just spectacular. Uh, so it's just uh, a good cathartic hike for me. That's that's my psychiatry couch when I <laughs> when I need it. Uh, so we have a great show th- uh, today. I'm. Uh, uh, Major General Gregory Knight is joining me in studio with uh, Michael Arkovich uh, with the Vermont National Guard and Vermont Air National Guard. And at 10 o'clock, uh, Darren Adams uh, from Milton. Uh, he's in a select board race. And Mike Morgan uh, in a select board race also contested races in Milton. We're going to talk about what's going on in Milton and uh, what they see with these high budgets and uh, how voters are going to react to that if they if they have an idea about that. But with that, I want to um, welcome both of you to the studio, um, Major General Gregory Knight and uh, Captain Michael Arkovich. Welcome. Thanks, Brad. Morning. Morning, Brad. Thanks yeah. for having us. Well, it's great having you uh, revisit um, some things that we've talked about in the past, General. Uh I always like to kind of just uh, bring our listeners up to speed. You've had a long career at this, uh, and uh, we're always interested in sort of the your journey and and things that that got you where you are today. Yeah, it's it's uh, been a remarkable career, and I, I simply would credit the opportunities that come with service in the military, in particular service in our guard. Um, I would tell any. Young person, you know, I talk to basic leader course students, which is our entry level non-commissioned officer course that we do here in Vermont at our regional training institute. I talk to ROTC cadets, Norwich cadets, um, but my message is the same. The opportunities are there uh, if you want to take them. I didn't know uh, about many of the opportunities when I joined. I joined as an E1, and if you're not familiar with rank structure, there is no lower rank. <laughs> so I came in as an E1 uh, back in 1983, October 3rd, two days after my 21st birthday. And I would characterize it, even with the stress of basic training, it was like putting on a pair of uh, brand-new hiking boots. It's like, my gosh, why didn't I do this years ago? Uh, it just fit. Um, and I've, it's been that way uh, the majority of my career. Um, still way more good days than bad. But because of the military, um, I've now got a bachelor's degree, uh, two master's degrees, and no college debt. And now I'm doing this job. So all that's because of the opportunities that were presented. 
uh, opportunities. And when you think about it, coming in as an E1, uh, did you ever in your wildest dreams think you would become a general? No. Yeah. Even six years ago, if you'd asked me, I'd have said, uh, give me what you're smoking because that's not on my to-do list. <laughs> and I think the other element, and, and most listeners could probably relate, there's somebody or, or people in your life that will kind of see something that maybe you don't see in yourself, and they'll push you, uh, push you to maybe a job that was not something that you had considered doing. And sometimes it was challenging, but it, it broadens you um, as a service member. Certainly, you're getting more experience and uh Kind of diversifying your portfolio, um, and then eventually, you know, you have an opportunity like this come up. Um, again, was not on my to-do list, but I talked with uh, the late Brigadier General Mike Heston, who was a very dear friend. I met him first through law enforcement, and then subsequently uh, through the Guard. At every turn in my career, um, he and a couple of others were the folks that were pushing me, um, kind of outside my comfort zone, to go do certain jobs that maybe I didn't want to do. And he was from Rhode Island uh, originally, so he had that Rhode Island accent, and he'd call, hey, I need you to go do whatever job. And I'd say, well, I'd, I don't want to do that job. That's not not on my career path. And he would always say, you're not hearing me. <laughs> so, okay, I got it, sir. I'll go do the job. And, and, and it worked out. It was just a, a great experience. And every position he sent me to, no matter how challenging it was, I learned from it. And I assume not only learned from it, but um, helps in, in how you are as a general, too, encouraging others to boost their career and experience. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had this this perspective for a long time, um, and particularly in this job, we've got to do a better job, in essence, making the next us. Um, and part of that is education. We're very busy, and it's, it's hard to find time to, to do that. And I think a good example of that was just uh, we did our, our military ball um, on December 2nd. And we had a lot of support from you know the Pomerleau Foundation and a number of other organizations who are, are great benefactors and supporters of the Guard. But the day prior to uh, leading up to that evening's events, we did a professional development. And the focus of that professional development was on areas that professional military education you know, our normal training cycles, whether it's individual training, collective training, those those don't normally address the gaps that we're looking to fill, the professional development piece, financial management for young families, for instance, physical fitness, um, you know, how to eat right. Um, we, we brought in uh, Dr. Alex Lasner, who's a friend of mine from the Air War College in Montgomery, Alabama, and he's originally from Austria, one of our state partners. But he's a professor at the Air War College, and he gave the audience – we had probably about 600 soldiers and airmen and their families there uh, – gave them an update on his perspective as a historian and, and a student of Central Europe about the historical impact of what's going on there right now. So we're filling in the gaps. Uh, we're getting better at that. Um, and, of course, we'll keep doing all the other military training that we're required to do, professional military education, all of those things. So we're, we're a remarkably educated force at multiple levels. Yeah, I think people forget that you you are so global. But I want to return to just um, you're a very large employer um, in the area. What, what are your numbers right now? Could be larger. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk about that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we could be larger. So um, right now it's, it's sobering. Um, I, I could fill, in the Army Guard alone, I could fill 700 vacancies. And these are fantastic part-time jobs uh, for Vermonters. Um, and then I say part-time job because there's still, I think, a misperception about service in the Guard is somehow uh, it's a career, but it's not full-time. 
doesn't have to be. In my case, it worked out. Um, and, and same thing with, with Captain Arkovich. We found a path on the full-time side to stay in the Guard. But two-thirds of the organization are part-time members. So you'll finish your training, and then you'll become a part-time drilling member of the organization, either Air or Army. Uh, but right now, back to the numbers question, um, I should have about 3,600, 3,700 overall, Air and Army National Guard. So Air Guard, I should have 1,100. I'm a little north of 1,000 right now. And the Army Guard, again, I've got 700 vacancies that I could fill. So in uh, your spread, um, five counties or more, really, with, with people who are part of the Guard? So, uh, well, we're north, south, east, west throughout Vermont. We have armories um, okay. pretty much everywhere. Yeah. I'm um, all the way down to Bennington, all the way up to the northeast kingdom, um, Bradford. And uh, so it's – we've got a good presence. Um, but, but again, um, how, how do I build new armories? Uh, I can't. I, I have a vision, and I've shared this with the legislature because I'm trying to bring them into this conversation about workforce development, which is what this is. I can't build a new armory unless I've got the people to put in it. Um, I could try, but then if I do that and I don't have enough boots on the ground, literally people in the armory, um, I'm in essence perpetrating a fraud. I don't, I don't receive federal money, sustainment, restoration, and modernization money to open the doors of the armory that I just built. So that's there are secondary and tertiary effects to recruiting. touches everything that we do. We are talking this morning with Major General Gregory Knight with the uh, Vermont National Guard and uh, the Vermont Air National Guard, VTANG. We were talking a little bit about recruiting, General, and I was I had the occasion to sit in on a uh, an information session up in uh, the Northeast Kingdom with with two of your recruiters. There were about seventeen kids who attended voluntarily. And I, I have to say the recruiters were amazing. They were down to earth. They were honest. They talked about, you know, the whole real world of it. And the kids were, you know, really engaged with it. Uh, it, it are you seeing more interest at the, at the school level or is, is that a hard place to get into? Depends on the school. Yeah. Um, so that's part of the problem, Brad, is, is the, uni- the uniformity of that access. Um, most schools will let us in at least once a year. Um, talking to my recruiters, at least anecdotally through them, um, how they have access to those students to have those very conversations is is pretty subjective based on the school. Um, sit in the guidance counselor's office, we'll make an announcement and we'll have somebody come talk to you if they're interested. Or we'll set up your table in the cafeteria, in the hallway, and if somebody's interested, they'll come to you. I think we could be... We could use some help in being a little more overt in that outreach because we have options. And I've made it abundantly clear, certainly in my time in this job, we don't want everybody, but I want the opportunity to put that information in front of those who might be interested. That should be a conversation that we can have with parents and students. Uh, If you look, as you mentioned, we've got significant benefits. Um, We work very diligently with the legislature to come up with one of the best education entitlements in the nation. I mean, it's we pay for a bachelor's, we'll pay for a second bachelor's, we'll pay for a master's degree, um, we'll pay for certificate producing programs. Um, like I said, that was my experience, and many of us in the garden. I think that's another misperception that we're, we're not because we're in uniform, we're in the military, we're not educated. Well, that's an unfortunate and false narrative. Um, you can't become an officer without a four-year degree. 
uh, you can't become a warrant officer without some level of higher education. Even in the Air National Guard, um, you can't become a senior non-commissioned officer without a degree through the Community College of the Air Force. So we're incredibly educated, and we don't pay for that. We pay for it through service, but nothing out of pocket. Yeah, and so high school students can actually take a test at the high school and then apply – and they can they can be admitted as early as what age? Seventeen with parent signature. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're talking about the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, the ASVAB. That's been in place, boy, probably since '68, I think. Um, they've renormed the test a few times to to look at um, what they're evaluating, and it's kind of the the entry point for service in the military. Each service looks at that test a little bit differently, but for us. Within that, we'll do the analysis, and you'll find line, what we call line scores, where you have the greatest propensity for success. Is it technical? Is it administrative? Where where would you align? And from that, it will tell you what you qualify for. Right, and it's soup to nuts for jobs, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so it it really, and then um, you know, we talk about a lot of over the over the last year i've had a lot of guests and we talk about what i call the lost boys you know they're not going to go on to uh college right away maybe because they can't afford it or they aren't motivated but they have skill sets that they don't we don't always think about college right mm-hmm. that that the guard offers well that's the other part of that education <clears throat> entitlement is it we allow you to get up to four certificate producing programs completed in a year so you could go into the trades, you know, and, and Mike and I were talking on the way down. That's where we really should start focusing our effort, at least initially, is on the tech centers. I think the majority of tech center directors understand the opportunities that come with being in the Guard and the ability for us to place those kids into jobs. Most people don't know. If you if you go to school with the Guard, the Army, or the Air Force and become a mechanic at some level, airframe and power plant, that will crosswalk into a certification here in Vermont, a diesel mechanic, a light-wheel vehicle mechanic. You want to become a paramedic. Um, you become If you finish your combat medic school, that automatically will crosswalk in Vermont as an EMT basic. Truck drivers, you'll come back and it eliminates some of the criteria Vermont requires uh, to become uh, a CDL holder. So all that, and we're paying you, by the way, to go to school, right. doing it out of pocket. We're paying you, we're giving you benefits, and then you come back and, and continue your service with us part-time. It certainly seems great, and I live in an 1850s farmhouse, and the last time I had an electrician or a plumber, the bill was reasonably high. <laughs> it's not a bad career. That's right. Uh, we're talking with uh, Vermont Adjutant General, Major General uh, Gregory Knight, uh, and about Vermont Guard and Vermont Air National Guard. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 802-244-1777. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the local mission, um, which is so important to Vermont. You've, you've, we've had flooding, we've had pandemic, and you're on the front line of all of that. So if I look back at my five years in this job, um, We've responded to any number of, of crises or incidents, uh, in, not just in Vermont, but in the United States. You know, certainly the pandemic is one that rises to the top uh, for me and the work that our uh, Air Guard and Army Guard did in support of the governor and Vermonters. Uh, we, we distributed over that summer, what, two years ago now, two plus years ago, 
uh, 3.2 million meals uh, working with the Vermont Food Bank across Vermont. Um, that that was huge for us to be able to have that re-engagement and support of our communities um, because that's actually who we are. We are Vermonters. We are your. We are you. We're your community. Um, January 6th, within 72 hours, the National Guard sent 26,000 soldiers and airmen to the nation's capital in about 72 hours, including 100 of our Vermont Army National Guard. I don't know of another organization that can do that. Uh, most recently, July flooding. You know, we were ahead of that. We knew the ask was probably coming. One of the things we found most important from previous experience was sending out liaison teams of, of Air and Army Guard members working together, and we visited, I forget how many, hundreds of towns and communities throughout the Vermont, uh, throughout Vermont to work with their local emergency managers, who may also be the town manager. And now you've got this dual hat, and sometimes we would be able to help them. Here's what you should be asking for. And then they could in turn submit a ticket to the state EOC, where we also had folks embedded to facilitate that communication. So, yeah, um, that's one of the things about the Guard. We, we have a dual mission. We have our domestic response mission, which is supported by all the federal equipment that we have in Vermont, all the trucks, all the high water rescue. I mean, that was one of my most memorable stories was watching our um, truck drivers, basically, we were our, our QRF, our quick reaction force, working with swift water rescue teams from multiple states in Cambridge. And, Mike, what was the number, 23 Families and pets were saved in, in Cambridge from rising floodwaters. Yeah, it was it was in the mid twenties. Yeah, in Cambridge. Yeah, so that's that's a part of what we do. Um, and now, conversely, we also have a federal mission, which we've seen uh, a number of times. We were two years ago, two and a half years ago. Our infantry battalion was in Central Command in Southwest Asia. Um, it was last spring, two years ago. It was our Air National Guard at the request of. One of my colleagues, the director of the Air National Guard, to send the 158th Fighter Wing and our F-35s to support the NATO air policing mission um, as a deterrent to continued Russian aggression against NATO. So it was a, a rebuilding of trust, I, I think, but that our airmen were able to do that in less than 30 days um, is remarkable. And by the way, they did that with four fewer C-17s, our cargo aircraft, and 100 fewer airmen than an active duty unit. So more efficiently, more quickly, and we're able to start flying missions throughout the Baltic states, the Balkans, um, in Eastern Europe um, in about seven, well, probably 72 hours. Pretty remarkable. And you you have a history of that as well. I've had uh, guests on from the uh, VTANG, and they were flying down to New York City mm-hmm. uh, the day of 9-11 and, and, and then doing mission right? Yeah, quite remarkable. Uh, We're talking with Vermont Adjutant General Major Gregory uh, Knight uh, and about the Guard and about the uh, Air National Guard and uh, Captain Michael Arkovich, who's joined us uh, on a monthly basis, just giving us updates about a lot of the lot of the things that are going on. Um, we're going to, in our next segment, we'll talk a little bit more general about sort of the, like you were talking about the global, the world. And, and also I'm interested in, uh, you know, how a general stays up on, you know, Vermont and the world. I think it, it's got to be quite a challenge and, uh, you're highly regarded for it. And, uh, 
I think we want to hear about it. Well, first I will tell you, I've got a remarkable staff. Um, these folks there obviously were all invested, um, in what we do. I'm taking care of Vermonters and obviously supporting our federal mission when asked to do so. But when you, we have news feeds. There's multiple ways for us to get information. It's hard. It's hard to, I mean, everybody's experiencing this. We're, you know, it's a sea of clickbait. And how do you get to what's, what do you really need to know? Hard to do sometimes. Um, but I do have the benefit of having folks uh, that work very diligently to what impacts the guard. What's going to impact Vermont? What do we need to know? And, and when do we need to know it? Um, but at the international level, and we do a lot of stuff nationally, um, I'm on the Adjutant General Association, uh, and we work on Capitol Hill to advocate for the National Guard, Air and Army. Uh, but if you look at what we do internationally with the state partnership program, we've got uh, three partnerships here in Vermont. There are 88, with 88 partnerships across the National Guard with 100 nations. Um, we've got a partnership with North Macedonia going into our 31st year. Um, with Senegal um, going on 16 years, and we're about to celebrate our second anniversary this spring uh, with the Republic of Austria. We are talking with uh, Major General Gregory Knight, Vermont Air Guard, Vermont National Guard. General, you have one of the the most unique uh, positions in the United States as Adjutant General. Mm -hmm. The legislature gets involved. That's correct. So Vermont has the distinction of being the only legislatively elected adjutant general. It's been that way since probably the mid-1800s when most of the statutes were drafted uh, pertaining to the National Guard. So it's, you know, it's interesting to me. Um, if you'd asked me five years ago, I'd have said, oh, man, please make this a, a, a gubernatorial appointment because this is excruciating to have to campaign for your job. Uh, but in hindsight, uh, you know, if somebody asked me my opinion, I would – I wouldn't give you my opinion. I'll give you the pros and cons of either. Um, but from my perspective, with a legislative election, um, it kind of facilitates a much closer tie with the legislature. I send out an update every six months, two pages of executive summary, and, and Mike puts in all the hyperlinks to, to articles about the Guard, and then another eight or ten pages of detailed facts and figures and you know stuff that they may be interested in. But one of the things that came from this, and I asked for this five years ago with one of my legislative colleagues, was establishing a legislative caucus, um, a National Guard caucus. And from that, um, we now have the Vermont National Guard and Veterans Caucus. So uh, I think there's about 35 um, members of the legislature on the caucus, uh, irrespective of their their political affiliation. And I, I'll tell you, right, I, I could not have – I could not have foreseen um, the collegiality and, and, and kind of cooperation that has come from that uh, and, and friendships that have come from that relationship um, where we didn't have – we would go to the legislature and, and testify when needed um, or if you want something to pass into law, you'd have to go down and engage with your committees of jurisdiction. But we weren't doing everything we could to share information in a timely fashion, uh, more efficiently, more effectively. And we weren't in a good position. If the only time you go to see somebody is when you want something, well, that's just bad form. Um, but now I've got a venue to share what's going on with the guard. And it's not just me going down and meeting with the caucus. I mean, I brought down Lieutenant Kelsey Flannery. She was the first woman to ever fly the F-35 in the Air National Guard. She's right here in our Vermont Guard. Brought down Staff Sergeant Deidre Irwin, who's one of our Olympic biathletes. And she finished in the Beijing Olympics I think it was a 15-kilometer individual race with the fastest time of any Olympic 
U.S. Olympic biathlete in history. That's right here in our guard. Why would I not share that story? But on the political end of things, I, mean, I, listen, to, I listen to a lot of senior leaders in uniform say, well, you know, the military is apolitical. Yeah, I respectfully disagree. You're nonpartisan, but you're hardly apolitical. Our budget comes from Congress. Our equipment, National Guard and Reserve uh, Equipment Account, the Negria account, that comes from Congress. It's approved by Congress. Our benefits are approved by Congress. I'm elected by legislators. I don't know how that's apolitical. It's absolutely political. The benefit I have is I don't have to talk politics. I talk guard. And that, I think, is a language everybody can understand. Well, there is an irony to it because it's political, yet uh, a flood is not political. That's a pandemic is not political. Rescuing dogs from a flooding waters is not political. It's yep. human. Yep. Uh, so, uh, but I, I, it's it's a uniquely Vermont process. Yeah. Um, but because of this relationship, <clears throat> if you think about it. I was one of those folks. If you have folks that are running for the position of adjutant general, you put your name on the ballot with the secretary of state and you go campaign. It's your pitch to make. Um, whether you get elected or not, that's that's up to the legislature. But every day is an interview um, leading up to that election. What I found in hindsight, what I found most important is the members of our National Guard, both Air and Army National Guard, they get a say in this, and I thought it was important that they could call their elected representatives and say either I support this candidate and here's why, or I don't, and here's why. And that could certainly inform the discussion for any of the candidates who were running for this position. Uh, when you're in front of a committee of jurisdiction or a caucus or, or uh, any other group at the state statehouse, um, I think it make, helps them make an informed decision. It's really quite remarkable. With 180 legislators, you have 35 in your caucus, which is a large number. They're they're so spread thin on all these different issues, but it it strikes me that they also have a lot of constituents are are guard people, right? That, That's correct. In all these communities across Vermont. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about that too. That you know we don't hear as much about the guard people in the community, but th they have roles in their in the community that are so separate from the guards. Mm -hmm. You know, civil civil you know school boards and things mm -hmm. like that. Do you do you hear a, a lot about that from from your members? Yeah, we've got folks that do a little bit of everything. Um, we've got master plumbers, we've got teachers, we have law enforcement, we have EMTs, first responders, we have attorneys. Um, it, it pretty much covers many of the crew. We have folks working in the trades, um, and, and that actually is one of the benefits of the Guard because many of those skills, just because you're an infantry soldier or just because you're a, an avionics technician on an F-35, that might be your Drew weekend job. But your other career is something completely different. Uh, that's I was an armor officer back when I was uh, a company-grade officer in the Guard. But I was also a law enforcement officer in Vermont uh, full-time until I went full-time Guard. Just because you're tied to one career path in your civilian sector, that's where you want to go on the civilian side, doesn't mean you have to do that in the Guard. You can do anything you want. Yeah, and uh, I didn't have the training to go up Elmore at 11 degrees, but you're sending soldiers out on Arctic training. Uh, is that this week they're going out? or? Yep, so we do this exercise. Uh, it's called Guerrier Nordique. Um, in fact, about three weeks ago, 
three weeks, a month ago, we hosted the uh, National Guard's Arctic Interest Council here in Vermont. Um, and it, we had 150 attendees. And the importance of this is yeah, it's a guard hosted, but it's multi-component. So it's active duty, it's guard, it's air guard, it's army guard, um, it's our industry partners, but it's also international. Uh, we, we had our Canadian partners there who we've worked very closely with for the past going on 15 years to operate uh, in the high north. Um, we're not good at it yet. And the Canadians have been doing it for a long time. Um, and in doing this exercise, one, it exercises our logistics, um, working with, for instance, the 105th, 109th Air Wings in the New York Air National Guard. They have the only ski-equipped C-130s. They have the only uh, officers that are certified for a ski landing area. So they will go up north with their crews, and they would establish a, a runway on the ice for the aircraft to land on, and that's how we support the logistics of it. Uh, you're hauling people. You're hauling equipment. It's one thing to simply survive in the high north, minus 40. Who knows what the wind chill is? The next step, of course, is to grow it incrementally and internationally. We've got our partners in Sweden and Finland, the Nordic countries, who've been doing this uh, for a long time as well. So it's, it's mutually beneficial. We're all learning from each other, and we're validating equipment um, and getting that back to our industry partners to identify gaps. Hey, this is how long your radio batteries lasted in minus 40. Here are the lubricants that work and don't work. Our footgear, it worked or it didn't work. Your, your mittens, your gloves, whatever you're wearing. And, Mike, you can talk a little bit about your experience. You were there um, last year. Uh, yeah, I went up, and they're leaving on Wednesday for this for this iteration. I went up last year um, in a public affairs capacity, and one of the things that we uh, were, you know, kind of figuring out how to plan around was the use of camera equipment, um, just, you know, battery life, and, you know, if you bring stuff into warm areas, and you bring it back outside in the cold, and it's basically an ice block because it sweats when you bring it into the warm, but um, it was a pretty, uh, a, a pretty amazing um, opportunity just to go up there and train and you know, learn how to survive uh, in, in tent life, if you will, like out in the field. Um, and, you know, you think about all the little survival skills that you need to be confident in and be trained on to, to survive up there. And it was, it was pretty remarkable. Uh, it was pretty a, a, an amazing experience. And training, 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 right? Because when you get to the, the real world moment, you got to be ready. You don't want mistakes. It's, yeah, we had I mean, we had plenty of guys um, that had been that had been on this uh, particular event multiple times. So they they were kind of the train the you know you had the Canadians that were the the lead trainers before we went up to the high north, and then we had guys uh, in each tent that had significant experience. So there was a good amount of experience because you can't just have a whole tent of uh, people that don't know what they're doing. That's uh, that's not good for anybody. For sure, we are talking this morning with uh, Vermont. National Guard Major General Gregory Knight and Captain Michael Arkovich. And, uh, General, the, there were some negative narrow, narratives about lowering standards for enlistment. Uh, I didn't quite understand. So there's, if you look at, I mean, that's what it is. We're all awash in it. Uh, a lot of polarization, a lot of misinformation about the military. And it's really hard to counter that. Um, when that's what we're seeing all the time. Um, and I heard this from one of our members of, of Congress that uh, her colleagues said that, well, we're lowering standards to allow people to serve. I think specifically that comment was directed at one of my focuses is getting after those underrepresented populations, the, the new Americans as, as kind of a, that blanket. Um, 
blanket statement to address these folks that have come here um, in search of a better life. That's just patently false. Um, but we're not lowering standards. Um, if anything, we're upholding the standard. The, the Army Guard, the Army, has a program. If you score just under the required score on that Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, there's a program we can send you to training specifically to focus on improving your score. I had one of my young soldiers who came to us originally from Ghana. He went to that course. Um, I think it was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And in six weeks, he improved his score by 45 points. That opened up a, a completely different set of opportunities for him. And it probably wasn't that he wasn't intelligent. It was just probably a language barrier. Um, but, but it's out there. Well, we're not lowering standards. The standard is a standard. Fitness standards are fitness standards. Um, you're, you're past the test, you pass the test. Medical standards are medical standards. That's it. And the new American opportunities are, mm-hmm. sound very exciting. What's that about? So it's a part of what I do, another one of those things that's kind of transparent to everybody. I'm the executive chair of the National Guard Joint Diversity Executive Council. And you know, I've been talking a lot. There are 10 regional Joint Diversity Executive Councils across the nation, um, all obviously specific guard organizations, multiple states within a region. And something I brought up, and we were all hearing it and seeing it, you know, somehow diversity became a bad word. Well, my perspective is you know, diversity is a thing, and I can't claim this. There's a much more eloquent way of putting it. I read it someplace. I'm like, well, that's brilliant. Diversity is a thing. Inclusion is an action. But what I'm finding, we talk about propensity to serve. When I have somebody who wants to be in our guard, and I can tell you I got any number of vignettes. of uh, I have soldiers and airmen from across the globe serving honorably in our organization. Um, a couple Fridays ago, um, and a special thanks to uh, Burlington City Councilor Ali Jang and the city of Burlington for actually sponsoring it, We they hosted a uh, New American session with the Guard, kind of a get-to-know-the-Guard. And there were about 100 folks there. Important thing for me, they weren't necessarily all of recruiting age. There were certainly more than a few. But those parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, were kind of removing the mystery of service in the Guard. But on the panel, it wasn't me. I, I certainly had my... My, my moment and saying, here's what, you know, the guard can do for you. They don't want to hear it from me. But when you can hear it from one of my airmen who came to us from India or Bhutan or Kenya or Somalia, and this is their experience. You know, my, my soldier from Somalia came to us at age eight. And I asked him, hey, you know, what was your experience? How did you end up here? He went through a refugee camp in Kenya. And he said, when I got to Vermont, I couldn't believe I could have a glass of milk whenever I wanted that's a pretty powerful statement to me. Um, I think folks don't understand how good we have it here. He gets it. He's going to UVM as a civil engineering student. He's a combat engineer with us on drill weekends, and we're paying for his tuition in exchange for his service. Yeah, if that's where the propensity to serve lies, that's where I'm going to go to find it. We're yeah. an opportunity for everybody. Yeah, which – Really extends out to everybody, like you said. So if, if a high school up in, kid in Northeast Kingdom is struggling with grades and does the test and is close, but not quite, you can help them along. So it's a real mentoring. Yep. We want people to be successful. Yeah. And, and again, I've been abundantly clear. Military service is not for everybody. Right. But at least we should have the opportunity to put those, those, those in front of 
parents and kids, which is the importance. I think we're going to talk about Bill uh, House Bill 739. I had a, October 17th, I met with some legislators down at Norwich University. I invited 180. They're not in session. But I did have 40 attend, and it was simply a very candid conversation about the state of our guard right now. If we're not careful, if we don't turn recruiting around, and these folks are centers of influence. They can help us. If we don't turn this around, Vermont, the Vermont National Guard, stands a very real risk of losing force structure, meaning we will lose companies, battalions, um, who knows, but what that means is when you lose that to another state that can fill those vacancies, because the National Guard, DOD, they're all about readiness. Sorry, Vermont. We're going to take what you can't fill and put it someplace where it can be filled. What that means for me and the governor and certainly for the legislatures, you've just lost capacity. You have lost capability. You've lost trucks. You've lost opportunities for Vermonters to serve. And, and that much more workforce development goes to another state. So we've got to fix recruiting. And that's where, for example, that we talked about that work with legislators is important. Yeah. Um, after that discussion at Norwich, um, within two weeks of the legislative session, which kind of tells me that somebody's paying attention, I had three co-sponsors, and I think there are a number of co-sponsors. I think it's House Bill 739. It adds military options as part of a student's professional or a personalized learning plan, the PLP. And the last paragraph gets us back on track with the Vermont Student Assistance Corporation putting military education benefits in front of those parents and students. Um, we were uninvited at some point um, after we had received um, that bill, got passed into law. We had now have an education entitlement. We were very busy with VSAC sharing that information at those how-to-pay-for-college how to events, and then we got uninvited. So I don't know where that came from. I don't know why we were uninvited. Look, if you don't want to serve in the military, then then don't. Um, but for those that have an interest, at least get educated and and come see us. You know, we'll do open houses. There's no strings attached. We're a pretty transparent organization at this point. Come see us, and if, if this is something that you want to do, we'll be there to help you be successful. And so have you been invited back or this is still pending? Still pending. It's, so, it's, uh, it's a bill uh, pending in the House right now, uh, House Education Committee. Okay. Yep. So uh, I hope it gets traction. Uh, I think it's just another tool for us. Um, and again, I come back to the importance of uh, working with legislators. They are centers of influence. And they have, uh, you mentioned it before, they have reached into their constituencies. Yeah. The email, newsletters. Um, our job is to help them uh, by giving them information that they can share. And actions speak louder than words. Uh, when you're called, you've been there, right? You've, you've met the, the flood challenge. You've met the pandemic challenge. You're, you're part of really what, you know, we rely on. And we would hope that we don't pick up the phone and nobody's, nobody answers. So. Well, that's my concern. Yeah. Well, we hope yeah. it goes the other way for you, General, on that for sure. Uh, we only have a, a minute and a half or so left. Uh, Anything else uh, that we didn't hit that you want to touch on, tell Vermonters? Well, I would just encourage folks to come see us. You know, we'll, we'll do open houses. If you're curious about what goes on at Ethan Allen Firing Range in Jericho, for instance, I can tell you we train about 150,000 members of our military and law enforcement every year um, out of that one installation. So it's uh, a lot of benefits to the Guard. We do a lot. that, And, and unfortunately, truth has a date-time group, right? We're relevant as long as we're relevant, and then we're out of the news cycle. Um, but we're always there, and that's the motto. We're always ready 
always there. Uh, but come take a look at us. And if it's something that we can offer you, then be a part of the guard. Uh, be a part of something larger than yourself. Um, I'll keep talking about it till the day I retire and then probably afterwards. Uh, yeah. I just know the benefits that are out there. Um, if you've got the right work ethic and a little bit of discipline, we can get you the rest of the way. Honestly, what I, Chris, I'm a little old perhaps to be uh, recruited unless there was an ambulance involved. Uh, but I was so taken. I wish I had known about it when I was 16 years old because I was with a single parent, no money in the house. Uh, college was grants and, and whatever. And I barely, you know, I just struggled along, but would have been a great thing for me. And who who knows, General? Maybe I would have been an E one, and I would have made it all the way up to a lieutenant or something. Yep, yeah. It's just a remarkable opportunity, and and I think once folks come to see us and visit us, um, we have amazing people in this organization. Yeah, just as, absolutely incredible. You as well, General. It's Major General Gregory Knight, uh, Vermont Air National Guard. Uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Appreciate thanks, the talk. Man. Appreciate the time. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont.